0: Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. All right, so let's go to Exodus. We're going to Exodus uh, 19 and 20 today. And to catch you up, if you're new to us, we've been we've been in exodus all summer long it's been a lot of fun today we're going 10 commandments okay 10 commandments where's all my rule followers in here y'all just love the rules yes love the rules this was for you all right so um how, how where's all my people that you're like rules not so much you're just like it's more of a yeah they're always so much more excited to raise their hands so great Oh my gosh! So, um, so earlier in the book of Exodus, God speaks to Moses. He has this encounter in the burning bush, and he tells Moses, "Hey, I'm gonna. You're gonna meet me on this mountaintop. Mount Sinai is where we're going today. But prior to that, just a bit of context. We get to this moment where we're at today by uh, the people of God who are oppressed and enslaved, and just a broken people. They cry out to God. He hears their cry answers their prayer, shows up on the scene, calls Moses into ministry. He's very reluctant. He don't want to go. Calls him into it. He sends him and says, hey, be my mouthpiece ask Pharaoh to deliver. Hey, I want you to deliver my people so they can go and worship me out in the wilderness. He does not do it. His heart is hardened. He does not believe in God, trust God, want to submit or surrender to God. And then uh, over the course of 10 plagues is broken. God releases his people in the course of one night salvation. There's Passover. We talked about that. They make it all the way to the sea, back up against the wall, Egyptian armies in pursuit, and then God separates the sea. And then uh, delivers his people miraculously. And not only does he deliver them from Egypt, but he also delivers them by way of provision. We talked about manna and quail and water. There's all these kind of miraculous things that God does out in the wilderness to provide for his people. But get this, he only gives them what they need for that day. And then he does it and he builds a dependency uh, on him. He's like, yeah, I'm going to give you exactly what you need for today. I'll see you tomorrow. And then he does it for years all the way up until the promised land. He just leads his people that way. And so um, chapter 19 and chapter 20, uh, we're, coming off of, uh, we're coming off of a battle uh, in chapter 17. And we're also coming off of a moment in chapter 18. We're talking about how to organize and, and really kind of build some systems to better steward and shepherd. We'll talk about that at Groups Vision Conference. But 19 and 20 is all about um, a people being set apart. So again, the first half of Exodus is all about people being delivered, people being saved. Second half of Exodus is all about people being set apart. Now we're in a covenant relationship. This is who I want you to become. It's about being sanctified, right? And so um, that's where we're going to be today. We're going chapter 19, verse 1 says this. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt... On that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they came and entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. I love that phrasing. It's so cool. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, just a reminder in case you guys forgot, I own it all. Uh, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you're to speak to the Israelites. And so the idea here is that God gives, he gives Moses, these marching orders, hey, go to the people, and I want you to explain to them that there to be a people set apart, a holy nation, there to be a, a kingdom, a, a part of a kingdom, a priesthood of believers. These are be, to be people that are marked by a relationship and a covenant with me is supposed to hit a little bit different. And, uh, and I've freed you and I've delivered you, but I've done so with something in mind. And so the whole idea is that you and I, our freedom that we experience in Christ, our freedom and our deliverance that we experience in God is always a setup for something greater. Our freedom has a purpose, right? Our freedom, we have responsibilities attached to our freedoms. And so... um, So the the people of God, they experience freedom from slavery and bondage and oppression, but then they experience this freedom to mature and become who God wants them to become. It has a responsibility attached to it. And you and I know this because uh, everything in life is this way. If we have a freedom, there's always a responsibility attached to it. Um, For example, when you're growing up and you learn to tie your shoes, if you remember the moment you learned to tie your shoes and... You're doing the bunny ears and you go around the tree and you loop, swoop, pull, all that kind of stuff. And you double knot just so you don't have to tie it twice, that kind of thing. Mom and dad are teaching you how to tie your shoes. What happens when you learn how to tie your shoes? Now you tie your shoes. Mom and dad don't tie them shoes no more. You know what I mean? When you learn how to wipe, what happens? You wipe. You're up, my man. Freedom. Freedom. For responsibility, you got some responsibility now. All the things that we like, man, I just can't wait till I learn how to ride a bike. You learn how to ride a bike, you're riding a bike. Learn how to drive a car. Guess who's going to pick up uh, your sister? Uh, you know what I mean now, right? So, like, f- with freedom comes responsibility, and this is the the thing that we know. Like, we always desire freedom, and then when we get the freedom, there's always something attached to the freedom, which is a purpose for the freedom. And, and that's, that's what we see time and time again. New freedoms, new privileges, new responsibilities. Um, and so walking instead of being carried, right? Riding a bike, driving a car, working a job, earning money, making friends, finding a spouse, getting married, raising a family, starting a new career, ending a career, all of them, all of them have new freedoms, new responsibilities attached to each of these life phases. And so when it comes to freedom, it should be noted um, that it's not a it's a process, and it's, like a, it's a thing that we do over the course of a lifetime. It's not like a momentary thing. Salvation is quick. Sanctification is long. It's long. And I, I wish there was another way. There's not. And so, um, and so the, 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 the Israelites were brought out of Egypt in one night. And then it takes 40 years to take Egypt out of the Israelites. And if we're being honest, it never really comes out. Never really fully comes out. Which and and so that could be a bit discouraging, except the encouraging piece is, is that Jesus comes so that it doesn't have to. Jesus comes to fill the gap between uh, our shortcomings, our inability to be who God's called us to be, our inability to keep the law, do right things, say the right things, think the right things, be who God wants us to be. Jesus fills that gap. So he takes on sins, past, present, and future. He does so for people of the past. He does so for you and I. If we're in Christ, this is what Jesus comes for, to fill the gap and be who we can't be. And so it takes 40 years for the Israelites to really just this refining process, this dependency, every single day I got to pick up some man, I got to eat some man. i be reminded that God is my deliverer and I'm dependent on him. And so, um, and so it's just this process. Um, if I'm going to go back to verse five, it says this, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Now spoiler, they do not do this. They don't, they don't obey him fully. And they don't keep his covenant. So if you, if, if you read your Bible, read the Old Testament, and it's just, a, it's just a case study in how dumb the people of God are, how hard-headed, how, how their inability to keep the law, their inability to do the thing, their inability to follow God, and then Jesus comes. And so, um, so keep reading. Verse 6, You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you're to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. Have you ever said that you would do something and then you didn't do what you said you would do? Like yesterday or this morning? Um I mean, we do this all the time as the people of God lip service. I assent, I believe in the life and the resurrection of Jesus. This is who I am. This is what I believe. Let me post this sucker on, uh, on Instagram or whatever. And then, but, but like our lives don't reflect the truth that we say we believe and, and encouragement, theirs didn't either. And so Um, but the the idea is to be a people refined and to be a people set apart. That's what we see in, in chapters 19 and 20. That's the whole goal. God gives us over to a freedom and a deliverance and the deliverance has a, it's a purpose. So you're free for a purpose. God says in verse five, he says, here's what's really happening. I want you to be my people. And then he uses this word treasured possession. Like I love you and you're my treasured possession. And you're going to be a people that are just marked by this relationship that we have. And so, um, while everything belongs to me, God says, you're going to be a people set apart. This is what Psalm 24 one says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I own it all. But these people are going to be in a relationship with me and in a covenant with me. And it's going to hit a little bit different for the rest of humanity. And the reason why is because um, I'm going to leverage the relationship that I have with them and then I'm going to send them to draw other people into a relationship with me. So their freedom is about other people's freedom. It's not even about them. It's not because the Israelites are good. It's not because they can keep my commands. It's not because they're great. It's not because any of those things. It's only because I'm sending them to to rescue and redeem and help other people be in the right relationship with me. You're free for a purpose. Roman 9 reminds us that Israel is to be a blessing to the whole world, the whole world. And, And because Israel has these privileges as the people of God, they have great responsibility to love and to obey. Hey, listen, you can tie your shoes now tie them shoes. Okay. You make the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know what I mean? In Jesus name. Like you get, you get, you, you, you handle business. All right. R- great responsibility. Uh, and so here's what Jesus says about covenant and blessing in Luke twelve forty eight. from, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. We love freedom. We love freedom. We love financial freedom. We love being able to do the things we want to do when we want to do them. We love freedom, but we don't like the responsibility attached to the freedom. And, and yet that's the purpose of the freedom. That's like what freedom is for. It's for, is leveraging what God's given us for others. Uh, much is demanded from, from whom much is given. If you look at uh, verse 6 in chapter 19 of Exodus, it says this. Al- although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, And a holy nation. So you're going to be marked in the way that you live. It's going to be different from everybody else. You're going to have rules. You're going to have a way of life. You're going to do things so different from everybody else. And the reason why is so that they look at you and they see that you're set apart. And they go, they're in relationship with God. They're not in relationship with God. And that's the reason for the rules. It's not about the rules. It's all about the relationship. It's all about a covenant. And just marking that you're in a covenant with me. Again, it ain't about any of the the fine details of the rules. It's all about being in a covenant relationship. God's call is for them to be holy and then influence other people in their holiness. This is is 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16. Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it's written, be holy because I'm holy. And so uh, all of Israel's activities, every area of their life was governed by the fact that they belonged to God. Not rules for rules sake, but just they were in a relationship. So what they ate, what they wore, who they married, where they, how they buried their dead, how they worshiped, all of it was to mark a people as set apart. We're in relationship now. We're in a covenant now. And when, when Moses shared with them uh, this plan uh, of God, they all said, we're in. But how many of us know that there's a difference between saying a thing and doing a thing? And they don't do the thing. They just say it. It's been the whole Old Testament not doing the thing, not keeping the covenant. And so uh, it's not long before the people who forgot, uh, they forgot who God was, and they forgot that they were delivered, and they forgot that they were set apart. And I think this is our story, too. If we're being honest, this is your story and my story, where we're called to be a people set apart. We say we'll do a thing, and we are not marked by holiness. I mean, Let's just be real for a minute. It's like, it's not a popular message. Be righteous. Like that is not a popular message that you hear people say today. We don't like it. We would much rather, uh, I mean, we we love the gospel. We love the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We love the message of grace and the love that God has for us. And yet when we start talking about being a people set apart, we're like, hold up now. Calm down, bro don't get in my money. Don't get in my time. Don't tell me how to, it's weird. We're like, yes, God, you are Lord over everything. Just don't tell me how to live my life. It's so weird how we do that. And that, and that's, that's, that's what's happening in this text. We're so focused on being liked by everybody else that we forfeit the great call to be set apart. It's not cool to be set apart. By the way, it's never been cool to not be set to to be set apart. It's never been cool. The old Testament, like people trying to kill these brothers in the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, they just go to war with everybody around them the, in the entire time. And then in the New Testament, basically every apostle was martyred for their faith. And the New Testament church is suffering and laying down their lives for the sake of the gospel. It's never been popular to be set apart. And yet somehow today, like in American Christian culture, we're like, but let's do it and be cool while we do it. Right? And it's, the, I'm not saying that you, I'm not saying you can't be kind. I'm not saying you shouldn't extend grace. I'm not saying that you can't, uh, I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying, don't be, don't be weirded out when the rest of the world and broader culture doesn't like you being set apart doesn't like that you don't say certain things or do certain things or go certain places or, or you have a set of convictions that forces your life and a rhythm of life and, and a surrender in different, like people don't understand why you give. People don't understand why you serve. People don't understand why you do. No, there you have people in your life that have, you think you're insane for doing what you're doing right now. And that's totally, that's a great place to be. Like there's an Old Testament and New Testament precedent for being set apart. That's what being set apart means is there's a marked difference on your life than other people. But it's not just about attending a gathering. It's about who you are. It's about who you are, being a people set apart in holiness. And so um, this is 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. You're a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare. And all this is commentary on Exodus, by the way. That you may declare the praises of him who call you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Act like you've received mercy. And so um, it's just easier for us sometimes to talk about things than to take hold of the responsibility that comes with freedom. But you're free. And you're free. You're free. But but attached to that freedom is a purpose. So what do I do with my freedom? I'm free in Christ. What am I doing with it? And 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 this is what he's teaching us in this text. And so um, we're free for a purpose, but there's other angles on freedom. And I want to go, I'm gonna jump forward to chapter 20 for time's sake. So um, God has this encounter with Moses, He has this exchange. Here's what I want you to tell the people and uh and they camp at the base of mount sinai mountains in front of them and and there's just like a dark thick fog that sets in god rolls up on the scene everybody feels it and they're like all right moses that's a little freaky you go in right so that's kind of what's happening in this moment so this is uh this is god he speaks in chapter 20 god spoke all these words i am the lord your god he always starts that way by the way so great Uh, i am the lord your god who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery, in case you forgot, because some of you did, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or on the earth beneath, or in waters below. And, And some people are thinking in terms of like physical image, but you can make an idol out of anything. You can make an idol out of your job. You can make an idol out of your spouse. Your spouse makes a terrible idol, by the way. They're really bad gods. Ask my wife. Uh, it, you, you can make an idol out of your kids. You can make an idol out of your vocation. You can make an idol out of ministry. I'm preaching to myself right now. Verse, verse five. Um, you shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, I'm a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That is a sobering text. Highlight that, sucker. Underline that. Verse 6, but I like this one. Showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. We read verse verse 5, and we're like, that's kind of jacked up. Third and fourth generation? That's kind of messed up. And then you read verse 6, you're like, oh, okay, well. It's kind of cool. Uh, Verse 7, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not uh, hold anyone guiltless who misuses my name. We tend to think of this in terms of uh, just saying God out loud. Uh, And I I think it's more about the heart and the motivation for what's said around the name of God. So it's misusing his name, which a lot of people do. So people will say things in the name of Jesus, and their heart and their motivation for what they say in the name of Jesus is really jacked up. And God's like, I'm gonna hold you accountable. To that so, just think, what are the heart and the, what's the heart of the motivation for what I say when I use the name of God? And and then uh, number eight, uh, excuse me, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. On the seventh day, is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter, your male, your female servant, any animals, even your cows. Make your cows lay down on the Sabbath, okay? Nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he made it holy. Keep going. Verse 12, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. And all my parents said amen and amen. Write that down, okay? And all of us are children, so let's just get real for a minute. You got a mom and daddy somewhere. So uh, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet. covet. This is a catch-all, verse 17. If nothing's hit you so far, and all of them have, by the way, uh, it, it, this is a catch-all. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, covet your neighbor's wife, his male, female servant. Covet cover your neighbor's husband. I'm going to add that in there. Uh, male, female servant, ox, donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God to speak to us. Cause we will die. Uh, you go ahead, Mo, you talk. Okay, you talk to him. So Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. This is my love. Verse 20. Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Moses says, hey, you don't understand. All this has a purpose. You need a right reverence. You need a proper fear. You need to realize that he will kill you. He loves you. He don't want to. He wants to be in a covenant relationship with you. He just needs to realize that he's sovereign and he's over everything and he's big enough. And that's going to, when you, when you change your perspective and you see who God is, that's the thing that really draws you into right relationship. It's the thing that Moses says is the thing that keeps you from sinning. Not staring at your sin. Not looking at all the dumb stuff that you've ever said, done, all that kind of stuff. That's not going to help you at all. You're never going to be, stare at him. Look at him. You need this moment, Moses said. If you want to stop sinning, you need this moment. Verse 21, the people remained at a distance, and while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Somebody needs to make this a movie. They have several times, but I can just imagine Mo just walking in, and people just, like, freaked out, and he's just walking into some thick darkness. Oh, man. Uh, so just recap. Um, so real quick. So here's the ten. Ten. Do not have any other gods before me. Do not make yourself an idol. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. The first four are all vertical. First four is all about a vertical relationship with God. And really everything, every, every command after the first commandment is really commentary on the first commandment. But, but, so have no other gods. But then the first four, hey, no idols. You know, you need to keep the Sabbath. You need to not use my name in vain. Those four are vertical. And then after that five and beyond, look at this, honor your father and mother, which, which I love that he leads horizontal relationships with your mom and dad. And again, all the parents said, amen and amen. Okay. So horizontal, do not murder people. Do not commit adultery with people. Do not steal from people. Do not testify or bear bear false witness against people. Do not covet what other people have. And so all, all the last six are about this, uh, this horizontal relationship. And so I want us to think of the Ten Commandments, if we can, uh, like we do the U.S. Constitution. So uh, all the old Mosaic law, everything in the Old Testament that gets layered on top of this really falls under these ten. So U.S. US Constitution, we have seven articles, and then we have sections under each article. And every law in the U.S. fits under Some of these articles, and in the same way, in the Old Testament, uh, the Mosaic Law fits under these Ten Commandments. So God issues the Ten Commandments, and everything after this is really just kind of a, a section or a derivative of the the Ten all the way up into the time of Jesus. So much so that they've added so many rules, so many regulations, so many laws by the time of Jesus that the Pharisees have forgotten. They're just making junk up now about the, uh, about the Sabbath. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and he's like, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. What up? So he, like, that's, that's, that's where we get to. But it's just like all kinds of laws leading up to the time of Christ. And, and think of the 10 commandments as, as the constitution that this kind of the, the banner for, for all these other laws that are in the Old Testament. And so... Um, the law points to two things. Here's the point for the message today. The two things you and I need a savior. So the law reminds us that we need a savior and that the law gives you all kinds of things that you never could do. And, and if you're like, man, I'm crushing, I'm doing all 10, you're a liar. And that's the thing you need to work on. Right? So it's like, you got stuff either way. And so, uh, the law is a reminder that you will never hit the mark. You need a savior, but also the law is also, this is the the irony, the law is also like the pathway to life. This is also the way that if I actually applied these things to my life, I would actually experience the fullness that God has for me. Knowing good and well, I'm never going to do all the things. So Jesus comes and stands in the gap, but they also are uh, really a direction for my life. Things that if I apply them, they'll give me over to life. So we need a savior And if we actually apply these commandments to our lives, they show us a pathway. The law was never given to us as a way of salvation, right? Uh, And this is what Paul tells us in Galatians 2. He says this in verses 15 through 16. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul's like, look, I'm an expert in the law. I'm a Pharisee among Pharisees. I keep in all the rules. They don't give life. Faith in Jesus is what gives life. So we too have put our faith in Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one is justified. And Paul's saying, listen, it's not bad Any of the law, the law is not bad. It's just that Christ comes as the fulfillment of the law and faith in him is what stirs your affection to do the right things. Not keeping rules, keeping rules for rules sake is dumb. Keeping rules for covenant sake is great. So if I'm keeping rules and and I'm keeping rules because of relationship and because of love for God and for other people, then that's a great reason to do it versus just keeping them in and of themselves. So as followers of Jesus, we know that salvation isn't based on our ability to keep the rules, but by the grace extended to us through Jesus. So the law, these commandments reveals God's righteousness. They demand God's righteousness, but they cannot give you righteousness. Jesus does. They just show you what a ridiculous standard it is, and then they demand it from you, and then they're like, where are you at? And, and you and I have to hide in Christ. That's the only way for us to be right in front of God. God gives us the law as a mirror to reveal all the areas of our life that are inconsistent, all the areas that are dirty. I don't know about you. I don't wash my face. I don't use a mirror to wash my face. I look in the mirror, and I use something else to wash my face, and, and the law is a mirror, And the only thing that cleanses, the only thing that makes right is Christ. So this is what 1 John 1, 7 says. If we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, his son, is what purifies us from all sin. Not you not coveting. Not you towing the line when it comes to murder or adultery or like any of the other. The only thing that keeps you in right relationship with God is what Jesus did for you. And then out of the overflow of that, you want to grow in a relationship with him. You want to surrender to him. He stirs your affection for him and the things, and you just desire to do the right thing, not because you have to, but because you get to, and, and because of what he's done for you. God doesn't give us his, his spirit to us and save us because we obey the law, but because we trust Christ and, uh, and because Jesus has fulfilled the law. That's why. And so the law can't give life. That's what Paul tells us. It cannot give life. And then if we keep going on, it says this. This is Galatians 3.21. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Is the law opposed to the promise? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. In other words, you're never going to be good for goodness sake. You're not. Um... So what's the purpose of the law? It's God's way of showing us where we've missed the mark, and it strips us of thinking that we've arrived based on our own merit or our own behavior, and it forces us to look at Jesus. Roman 8 reminds us that God gives us his spirit to everyone who believes in Jesus, and then the spirit of God enables us to obey his will and become who he wants us to become. By his word, by his spirit, not by your own ability to do good or choose the right thing. In my flesh, I am not great at all not a good husband, not a good dad, not a good leader, not a good friend, not a good son, not a good, you fill in the blank with whatever, in my flesh and just like naturally where I'm at, not that great. By his word and by his spirit, God leads me to do some things that are just outside of myself. I don't know if you've had that moment where God led you to say something to someone, be generous in a way that was supernatural. It's just like, whoa, that's different. Like I've never been that kind in my life. Like I don't know if you've ever had that moment where the spirit just was like, hey, do this, and you did it, and people were like caught off guard because you're never that way. Right. Has that happened to you? Just me. So like I, I, I go up and like the moment happens and people are, like, I'm, and I'm weirded out by what I'm doing. Cause I'm like, this is not me at all. Like this is so outside of myself. And that's what he wants for us time and time again. He wants to give us that so that we can, again, not keep the rules for rules sake, but so that we can become who he wants us to become. And your freedom has a responsibility attached to it. Your freedom has a purpose attached to it. And, and what that purpose is, is other people. Love God with everything you got. Put no other God before me. Keep the Sabbath and trust and remain dependent on me. Make sure that when you say things in my name, you mean it, your heart, your motivation, the way that all, just love me in a way. Everything that you can, everything that you just throw your full weight at loving me, and then you can better love one another. You'll, You'll honor and respect the right people and authority in your life. Your marriage will reflect it that your household will reflect it. You're not going to covet other people's things. You're not going to, like, this is, this is what God gives us in the commandments. And so, um, so when we fall short, when we don't meet God's standards for right living, which is all the time, by the way, it's like every day, uh, we're only transformed as we look to Jesus. Again, not as you look at your sin. Some of y'all, you're so frustrated with the Christian life. You came to faith like a decade ago. And, uh, and you keep struggling with the same things and you keep hitting your head against the same wall and you keep, you're going, this is hard. Like, I don't understand why I mean, I I just keep, and it's because instead of, instead of looking at Jesus, you're looking at your sin. Stop looking at your sin. You are a sinner. All the things just don't just all the things just covered. Okay. Just imagine like if given over to the opportunity, you'll do it all right. You're a sinner, but just look to Jesus. And then that's the thing that has a transforming effect on your life. Not taking inventory of all the jacked up things that you said did. I'm not saying don't have a stewardship, uh, don't have a, have a rhythm of taking inventory or confessing things. Not saying that I'm saying the only way to really transform is to look to Jesus. This is what Hebrews 12 says. Hebrews 12, one, two, therefore, Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and again, Hebrews 11 is like all the people who did all the great things in God's name, except all of them also sinners. Anyway, so keep going. Uh, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. How do we do it? We gotta run with perseverance. Some of you... You need resilience. You need persistence. You need perseverance. You need to just not give up. You need to press on. That's hard. Okay? This is how we do it. Press on. Perseverance. The race marked out for us. And then he says this, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. He authored your faith. He gave you salvation. And he'll also give you sanctification. He will perfect your faith. What do I bring to the table? Not much. Faith. That's it. Perseverance. Keep moving. Keep pressing on. Keep believing. Keep hoping. Keep looking to Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Throw off everything. Throw. Like rid your life of distractions, rid your life of, listen, if you sin, have a predisposition to sin in a certain way and you struggle with certain things, stop doing dumb things. Stop going to the places that cause you to sin. Stop hanging out with the people that cause you to sin. Stop doing the things that cause you to sin. If there's take inventory, download it, cut the hand off metaphorically, calm down. I'm saying like gouge the eye out, remove yourself from temptation, flee from temptation. And then, but more more importantly, look at Jesus as you do it. Just stare at him and run with perseverance. And then we keep going. Uh, Pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I sit down only when I'm done. That's when I sit down. I don't know about you. So Jesus sits down. He's like, I'm good. We're done. Everything necessary has been accomplished. It's finished. So your freedom is about the responsibility that you have so you're a people that are delivered so that you can be a people set apart. If no one's ever told you in the Christian life, your salvation is so that you can be sanctified so that you can be a people set apart so that you can put him on display to the people around you who don't have a relationship with him so that others can join the party, so that others can come to the table, so that others can experience the same life that you have. You're a holy nation and a priesthood of believers. You're a people set apart. Why? For the people who aren't here yet. It's so awesome. He's like, listen, love God and love people, and I'm going to give you a mission attached to it. Stare at me. Stare at me as you run your race. Stare at me, and I will perfect your faith. And then, listen, I'll I'll help you in ways that will just, every horizontal relationship in your life will reflect it. So we're free. We're free to experience this purpose that he has for us, but we're also free to experience the fullness of life. So um, every command, if we actually ran the play, if we actually did the things that we know God has asked us to do by his word, by his spirit, if we just did the things that we know he's asked us to do, he promises us, that will lead you to a place, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Every command, every, um, every parable, every miracle, everything points to, I want you in a relationship with me. I want you on mission with me. I want you as a people set apart, your freedom has a purpose. And here's what's so cool. As you do it and you make it about others, you experience joy in ways you've never experienced before. You experience life in ways you've never experienced before you have fulfillment in ways you've never experienced it before. And all that, I mean, all that's chapter 19, chapter 20 of Exodus. God says, hey, I want to be in a relationship with you. It's got to be on my terms. I'm going to teach you some things. And I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you some standards. And we see, we have beneficiaries of context. You and I have the entire word of God. You and I are new covenant believers of Jesus. We get to look back on the, on the, We get to filter everything in Exodus through Jesus. And so he comes as the fulfillment of everything we couldn't be, everything the people of God couldn't be. And it's like, thank you, God, for doing what we can't do, for meeting the requirements of the law, for satisfying all the things that we couldn't satisfy, and then help us to just look at you and just stir our affections for more of what you want for us. Trust you. it It takes a long time. I'm learning things right now, 37 years and I'm learning things right now and doing things right now in my walk and in my faith that I've never done before. I don't want to discourage you, but it's like a lifetime of, all right, pick that manna up. Pick that quail up. I'm going to give you some water. I'm going to give you what you need for the next day. And then there's a refining process and we become who it is that God's called us to be. So um, let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the way you love us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you offer us freedom and deliverance, but that deliverance has some responsibility attached to it. That we're to be a people set apart and we're to be on mission for your name. We're to make you famous. And so I pray that every single person here today, God, that we would not settle for anything less than being a priesthood, that we would not settle for anything less than being a holy nation. Help us to be holy. Help us to be the type of people that cares more about what you think than the people around us, cares more about what you say in your word than than the person sitting next to us, cares more about becoming and, and worshiping and becoming the holy person that you call us to be set apart, not judgmental, not religious, just righteous just more like you help us to put on love help us to just be more like jesus and you do it by your word and by your spirit give us the courage of conviction to submit and surrender the areas of our lives that are inconsistent we know what those are if you're here today and you're struggling uh, in some area of your life or you there's a sin that just kind of plagues you or there's something that's unconfessed bibles bible tells us hey confess your sins to god find forgiveness confess your sins one to another and find healing and it's true And so I pray that you would just have the courage of conviction today to do those two things. Confess in this moment. God, this is an area of my life I know is not meeting your standard. I know that just misses the mark. I know you want more from me. And I'm a liability to the message that I carry. I say I believe a thing. I'm just like the Israelites, God, and then I say I'll go all in and I'll do the thing, but my life does not reflect it. And everybody sees it. So I call myself a believer and a Christian, but people look at the inconsistencies and they don't want what I have because it's not it's not really what you want for me. So give me the fullness of life that you want for me, God. Help me to surrender fully. If you're here and you've never come alive in Christ, Jesus came, he lived in your place, died the death that you and I deserve to stand in the gap between the law that God issues. And our inability to keep that law, that inability to keep and be good, who God desires and really requires for us to be in order to be in right relationship with him. Jesus stands in that gap, comes and, and pays the price for your eternity, for your hope, for your joy, for your salvation, and, and for the fullness of life that he wants for you to have. For your purpose, he pays the price for every single bit of that. and it's. It's a moment of salvation is when you realize who Jesus is in relationship to who you are. Always give people an opportunity to respond to this moment. If you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you want to come alive in him. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Just confess him as Lord. Just confess him right where you're at. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I'm sorry I made it about me. Jesus, I, I know you've been working hard to get me here to this moment. I know you use family and friends and all kinds of people to draw me into this space, to remind me of how much you love me, to remind me of how much you're for me, and to remind me that you can do things that, that I can't do. And so I give you my life and you give me over, you lead me, you guide me by your word, by your spirit. I make you savior of my life. I see you on the cross and resurrected and my eternity rests in the hope that I have of your finished work. But also, God, I, I make you Lord of my life. You lead me, you lead me. Give me over to a relationship and a covenant with you that makes, it just changes the desire of my heart. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.